This episode is brought to you by our friends at Unibuddy. Unibuddy is a student engagement platform that helps higher education recruitment, marketing, and admissions professionals attract, engage, and convert prospective students. Unibuddy helps students make one of the most important purchasing decisions of their entire life, and that decision is where to go to college. One of the ways they do this is by giving prospects real-time access to real people at your university. Here's how it works. A prospective student named Sam stumbles upon your school's business major website page, and he starts reading about your program offering. After a few seconds, a warm pop-up form invites Sam to chat with student ambassador Dan, who, you guessed it, is currently studying business at your university. After some quick niceties, Sam admits he's been looking at your school for some time now, but has yet to submit a formal inquiry or start an application. He's been to a couple of virtual recruitment events, but it's been hard to get a real feel for what life as a student, especially during these times, is actually like. Dan talks about his love of the entrepreneurship course he's taking, how challenging but rewarding Accounting 101 is, and how impressed he's been with your school's response to the challenges that COVID has thrown everyone's way. After 15 minutes of chatting with Dan, Sam books a chat with one of your admissions counselors for next week, and then he goes on to create an application account. This experience is so much more powerful than a static chat window or a scripted chatbot. Unibuddy empowers people to make better decisions through shared human experience. Oh, and by the way, this peer-to-peer engagement platform, it's just one of Unibuddy's product offerings. Wait until you see their virtual events platform. It's totally game-changing. Don't get stuck in a prospective student's college shopping cart. Make the experience of accessing personalized, peer-to-peer feedback as frictionless as possible. To learn more about Unibuddy and access a plethora of free resources to help you navigate student recruitment this year, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash Unibuddy, and we'll ping you directly to Unibuddy's learning hub. That is why we have to start thinking about the substages to tailor content to engage people the best way at that moment when they're there. Welcome to Fanatical Fridays, a weekly podcast where I sit down with Mickey Baines, a principal at Kennedy & Company, which is a higher education consulting firm, to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. I'm Zach Buzicruz, founder here at Enrollify. Enjoy the show. Today where we're going to dive into, and Mickey, this was, this was your idea, which I thought was really great, especially for, you know, given the fact that we're still just at the start of 2022. Um, and what we're going to be talking about today are three knowledge or expertise gaps that admissions and marketing leaders should close in 2022. And what I like about this is, uh, first and foremost, it, it signals that there are, in fact, gaps in admissions and marketing leaders and that we don't know everything. And um, because of the, the timing, too, it also suggests that the things that we're going to discuss are, are achievable. Get these gaps may be closed um, or a lot of headway might be made in closing these gaps over the next year. So it's going to be a little bit more tactical as well. So, Mickey, why don't you kick us off with a couple things that are on your mind? And then um, I'll jump in with uh, one core topic and then I might slide in a fourth depending on how time goes. Ooh. Look at that. See, that's a curveball because I wasn't prepared for a fourth one. Um, so let's 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 see how it goes. <laughs> I mean, if you get two, ball. I should. If you get two, I should at least kind of get two, maybe get two, one and a half. We'll see. Okay. Um, so why don't I start with the first one, um, which for me is video. Um, 
I know we've talked a lot about uh, about video over the past two or three seasons, however long we've been doing the podcast. Every probably once every four to six weeks, we start talking about video. Yeah. Um, and and for me, when I think about closing the gap, for, for, for me, closing the gap is at the high strategic level of understanding. Yeah, we need to do more video. To then, how do we actually use video at, at more of an expertise level? So more than um, taking a, a camera around campus for a virtual tour or whatever you're doing there, like how do we really embed video into the core strategy of our story, um, and and taking it to another depth of how do we think about it in terms of who's presenting it, what type of equipment do we need or don't we need, um, and from personal testimonials to formalize types of presentations, all of that. How do you think about the various uses? And there is still a gap um, from the person who's creating the strategy. And sometimes that might be a dean, sometimes it's a vice president, sometimes it's a committee at an executive table, but there's a gap. Um, and video has is, is grown to be such an important way to communicate and engage. It's a channel in and of itself um, and I don't just mean YouTube. I mean whether it's a link for YouTube or whether you're embedding video into a web page or uh, a student portal that might be dynamically based, or if it's a video inside of an email or a link in a text. You know, there's various components to it. And and when I am talking with the missions leaders, it's generally we're doing video. There's nothing behind that. There's no thought or explanation or understanding of. Well, how are the various different forms of video coming into play? Are we doing these personalized video messages to students from counselors or from other staff? Are we interviewing other students around campus? Do we have a campaign that has a camera following the mascot of the university going around doing this? In fact, I saw a good one yesterday. Um, this is, we're recording this mid-February um, from Valentine's Day of, of my alma mater, University of South Carolina, following their mascot around who had a big sign that says free hugs and just walking around giving joy and hugs to students around campus all day, um, which it was cute, whimsical, and needed. It showed it showed feeling and hugging. I mean, that warmth, like we're coming out of this pandemic where we've been socially distanced. It's nice to be able to see that in a moment. Um, and, and so, you know, that yeah. type of video, how do we bring it together? And and I, and I think it also gets to, to an extent at a, at, a, at a bigger level, this conversation gets to, um, and something I think we all, all want us to hit on throughout the season, that blending of marketing and admissions. We're crossing thresholds when you take something like video and you have counselors doing it, you have ambass student ambassadors do it, you've got marketing and mascots and all these things. It's blending and we need to think about it as a whole. But if you don't understand all the nuances to it, then at a high level, you're still talking we're doing video. Doing video is not going to help you. Doing video at a, to figure out exactly, we're using video this way with admission counselors to do personalized acceptances, to thank you and welcome you to the university. We're doing video to show people campus through the eyes of the mascots. We're doing video to have the president um, welcome a certain group of students to campus, you know, those types of things. You need to have that yeah. level of detail. And then when you think about it, you know, if we're going to have the, the president welcoming students, the president's going to send special welcomes to our honor students. And, you know, blocking that time off, is that from her office? Is that from campus or a classroom? The, that level of, of detail 
yeah, you have to get to it when you're planning out the video, but you need to understand what the difference is between locations, between the person sending it. You know, at the same level, hopefully someone on your campus thinks about it and knows at the email, for email, right? We've, we've been doing email for a while. We think about who the email's from. We think about subject lines, which is another topic for this season. We think about tying them, timing of emails. We need to think of video the same way. And if I go from the top level strategist down to the person most responsible for video, that person that's most responsible for video is also not there yet at that level of thinking. And I, the reason I wanted yeah. to say, hey, we yeah. got to close the gap. There needs to be that understanding of, of those different dynamics at the top so that then they can understand how to best support the person who needs to execute on video to get them the training and the professional development, whether it's them doing it themselves or giving them that training and knowledge and understanding so that if they're bringing in a third party to do it, they know how to evaluate the third party to assess if the third party really understands that and understands it for higher education at that level. And if you don't ha bridge those gaps in that knowledge, you won't be able to execute on your own or you won't be able to effectively um, select the right vendor to help you do it. But we're at this crux yeah. where yeah. the content needs to start shifting to video. And if you just shift with video yeah. without yeah. that thought, you're not going to get a good return on it. And it's going to be costly at first to do it when you start something new like that. And you won't get a return on that. And then you're going to think you failed. And someone's going to want to pause on it. So yeah. I think we need to start pushing and closing that gap so we can ensure that we are getting a return on that channel. Couldn't agree more. And what I would just quickly add to that is that I think that this is the year where in the same way that enrollment teams obsess and or should obsess over their communication flows, whether it's their search campaigns, whether it's their kind of post inquiry, post app communication flows, the same level of detail and the resources that are allocated to ensuring that these, these, uh, these drip sequences are are performing well uh, and have been thoughtfully crafted. There's, you know, a good admissions shop thinks very critically about how those communications uh, are formed, what the sequence of them should be. They're going in regularly and checking performance of each campaign, of each email and tweaking it, you know, accordingly. This is the year, 2022 is the year that that same level of detail needs to be applied to video. So in the same, the same way that you think about the time, the energy, the resources it takes to spin up a new solid communications plan, that same amount of time, energy, and resources, I think this is the year that that needs to be dedicated to video. And video, as you've pointed out, Mickey, it has all these like extra nuances and, and factors that like written communication just doesn't, right? Like I'm, we're, right now we're in San Francisco, we're on a video shoot. We're going around talking to a bunch of students in California, asking them about their college search experience and capturing all this on video. And then we're making these recap videos uh, each night. And I mean, it's just, it's so much more time intensive, so much more labor intensive than writing a recap blog is, for instance, right? And yet it has the potential to be 10 times, 100 times more impactful than any sort of blog summary of, about, this, about this roadshow might be. And so I think people need to be prepared that this is going to be an expense. This is going to require way more time than we think it will require. But again, why it's worth it from an investment standpoint is that it, it will have at least a 10 X, if not a hundred X return in terms of, you know, creating something that's memorable, creating something that's different, creating something that's unique. It's quite frankly, just eventually going to be so much more powerful than an email. Um, if, if it's not already. And so 
to your point, I completely agree. This is the year to double down. It's the year to really, I, I would say like, this is the year to learn how to do video as you're saying. And I think the only way to really learn that is to make sure that you've got somebody on your team that is a videographer, or you've got somebody, you know, that you're contracted with is a videographer that can really walk with you through the admissions experience, grow to understand the various, you know, touch points throughout a uh, admissions cycle, and then work with you to collaborate on where might it make sense to replace a static form of communication with something dynamic like video and or how, how does video supplement strategically the communications that you're uh, that you've already set up within the context of your compo. So this is the year, as you've as you said a couple times, to really understand this is how video works, and it's time to start treating it as if it was as important as your your search campaign or your your core mm -hmm. communication flow. And I think one of the key terms that you said uh, was supplement. You know, this is not necessarily to replace yeah. content. It is a it is a type of content that supplements. So you can still have your text content, um, you can still have your email content. This is just adding to that to add value, to add a different way to absorb content. It's not again, we're not replacing, we're supplementing. There might be areas where you replace, but for the most part, we're looking to supplement, and that's I think key. But it, that again, that's closing the gap, thinking of it and knowing that. In planning that out, the other key thing that you talked about, which is one of the three things um, I want to talk about, was the uh, knowing your stages in that funnel. And first, of all, let me just say, and uh, it's going to be hard yeah. to, to do in 2022, but 2023, let's just say 2023, let's let's get rid of the word funnel. Let that become our new F word. Um, I yeah. want that out. Um, yeah. Be because funnel does not <laughs> adequately funnel might help us internally but funnel does not represent if you're building your a communicating engage a prospective student with the idea of that they're going through the funnel that is wrong um, that is not how a student has a journey to choose and select you're going to see that in your videos that you're recording Zach that is not the process they don't think of myself well I'm an inquiry uh, for yeah, five institutions yeah. and I'm going to be an applicant for three institutions that's not at all they're thinking about these are random questions I have at different times and I need to find the answers as easy as possible and answers of how an institution handles this or what the what programs and how they deliver certain programs that I might have an interest in or how they work with scholarships and what are the deadlines of scholarships all of these things at different times that they may have and they want to know how each institution addresses it they need to be able to have that information from you to absorb quickly um, you know if if you if a student were to the blog meaning text or write um, you know, out their experience that that takes much longer to absorb. You can't fast forward it the same way um, a, as you could when you're doing the video. So that when you're looking at those, when you're looking for shortcuts, quick, easy tips and answers, you're going to get that in video that you can't do it in a blog. So, you know, again, the blog might help expand on it, but that's where, you know, when you think about supplementing, it's, it's finding that level. That's really, really important. Uh, and and yeah. 2022 is a time to focus on that. Couldn't agree more. And another, you know, the, the second thing that I think is worth, that's a pretty obvious gap that I think needs to be closed in 2022 is how admissions and marketing teams think about and utilize social media. So obviously social has been this 
I think higher ed has had a very complicated relationship with social media. Um, and it might, you know, be something that has only gotten more complicated, a relationship that's only gotten more complicated over time. But I think what we're seeing, and this is a greater shift that's happening in social. And I think right now, higher ed is just starting to kind of wrestle with these changes. But the way, you know, the way that folks expect to consume content on social media, social media used to be sort of this place where you could dump a bunch of content that would then lead you to another page or another website or another, you know, an external resource. And the algorithms for a while didn't necessarily, you know, uh, provide, didn't necessarily ding that, right? Or didn't, didn't necessarily think of that as any sort of negative indicator on your, your post reach. All of that for very obvious reasons has shifted people, you know, these platforms want you spending more time on their networks. They don't want you they don't want to essentially just be this distributor, right? They want they want to be the place where you come and you consume content on their platform and you get your questions answered on that platform in the same way that Google from a search perspective, right, has dramatically changed how it serves users content, right? You, you see the accordion sort of like expand boxes. You say people also ask these seven things. You see more and more boxes on the you know right-hand side popping up, answering your question with highlighted text, right? So much so that you oftentimes don't even need to click through to an actual website to get your question answered, right? It's served to you on the homepage of Google. The same thing is happening with social, right? Folks, the, the Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, all of these uh, very powerful networks are uh, the, the ranking factors, the, the, the visibility factors that go into whether or not your post gets seen by the people that follow you. A lot of that has to do with what is the content that is included in the post? If you drop a link, right on LinkedIn. And we've, we've tested this several times on like my personal LinkedIn. Anytime I share a blog post, right, or share some sort of external content versus write content directly for LinkedIn, the reach on those posts are dramatically different. When I write just a, you know, a, a summary of Zach's musings on LinkedIn and post that literally five to 10, it'll get five to 10 X the reach that a post with the same amount of, you know, Zach musing, but that also includes sort of like a link to a blog or a link to a video or a link to an external site. That post gets less than, or the, the previous post will get five to 10 X more reach than the post that includes a link. And again, I, I think why this matters for, for higher ed is that if anything, we're used to thinking about social as a, as a distribution platform, right? A way to just get our, our content, our ideas, our thoughts, our information out there. And I think it's turning much more into a educational and consumption platform like all social medias are trying all social media networks are trying to sufficiently answer questions sufficiently tell a story sufficiently communicate an idea without the user who's receiving that information needing to leave the site so i think how this relates to what we're talking about today about closing knowledge gaps closing gaps of expertise is i i don't know that admissions teams and, and marketing teams at colleges and universities quite frankly, know how to write for social these days, know how to create content for, for social these days. And I still see a lot of, especially branded institutions, institutional pages sharing content that might've worked five or 10 years ago that again, links people to, you know, their, their admissions page or links folks to their athletics page or links folks to a, a student blog. Instead, what we, I think the next generation of social for higher ed looks like how do we take that student story and how do we communicate it in a tweet without a link, right? And that is, that is very difficult. That's very hard to wrap your mind around as a, as a higher education marketer. Mm -hmm. 
but I do think that that's, that's the next wave. And what, what social will require is we're going to see this, this shift in, 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 you know, brand reach will continue to decline. So the reach that you currently get right now on your social channels as an institution is, is only going to go down. And that means like, you're going to have to get really creative with, with who you partner with. We're going to see more and more colleges and universities, you know, tap into influencers. We're going to see folks. I think we're going to see folks that are going to specifically hire content creators to come work on their team to exclusively work at figuring out and finding ways to tell student stories within the context of a tweet or within, within the context of a 24 hour Instagram story. So I think we're just on the cusp of these radical changes in social. So I would say the, the biggest thing that higher ed needs to do, biggest thing that our listeners need to do this year is get educated on what actually works and, and, you know, and what doesn't with social today. And I think there are two ways you can do this one. There's a lot of great people in our industry that I think are starting to, you know, test their hand, if you will, at this new era of social. And I think like, I think of like Corinne Myers, I think of Jamie Hunt, I think of, you know, um, uh, 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 Ethan Braden, I think of other, you know, CMOs in, in the higher ed space that are still learning and, and, you know, they don't, they don't always get it right, but like they're putting themselves out there. They're trying to understand how the new dynamics of social work so that they can equip their teams with the context, the information, the resources that they need to do the same. Um, and then the secondly, I really think it looks like asking, you know, your, your favorite 17 year old, right? Your favorite 16 year old, like talk to me about what you love about social media. Talk to me about what you hate about social media. One of the really interesting things that we learned on yesterday during our roadshow was it was surprising how, you know, many, we, we, we asked a few, some questions, a few questions to some students about, you know, if you could, um, if you could marry, if you could sleep with, and if you could kill one social network, um, and we gave them the options of Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and TikTok, who would you sleep with? Who would you marry? And, and who would you kill? And what was fascinating is of all the students that we asked, they, they all said that they would kill TikTok, uh, which was shocking hmm. to me because it's where they spend the most amount of time. But, um, and we didn't have enough time to really unpack that, unfortunately. But, um, you know, uh, w what I do think is happening is social is changing dramatically. If you're a smart marketer and or admissions folk working in higher ed, in addition to understanding, in addition to following thought leaders in our industry that are doing social well, go ask your favorite 16 or 17 year old what they love about social, uh, what they hate about it, and take that information to heart. And then go check your university brands institutional pages and see, hey, what are they doing? Uh, you know, what, what are we doing? And does that align with the expectations and the desires that my favorite 16 or 17 year old said about what they love about social or not? And if they're, if, if this individual says, Hey, I really love watching TikTok videos, or I really watch, love watching YouTube videos. And if your social profiles don't have any videos that have been natively uploaded to those networks, right? Like that is, you know, that is problematic. Like that, that's an area of focus. Number one for you. That is a, a huge area that it's been around forever. I think there was some initial learning that maybe has occurred, um, primarily as the people in strategic decisions are um, probably Facebook users, maybe LinkedIn users, um, but we've moved on from that and, and how social works has moved on from that. And as you think about creating content and think about how you, how you pivot content slightly or dramatically based on the platform, that, that again, that's why you have specialists in that. And in order to know 
what you need a special specialist to do or which specialist you need first. You know, you have to close that gap and have a better understanding yourself, you know, because in order for that, you, there's content that needs to be created. There's also analysis on the return that has to be done and collected um, and assessed. So, you know, that's another important piece of it. So the, I think I will uh, jump in. I think All right, bring, us, bring us home with number three. Yep. Yeah. Because I think this is very helpful when we think about the role of video or we think about the role of social. How does that work throughout the enrollment journey of your students? Um, and, um, and I think that that's really important because in the past, I just said we got to get rid of funnel, right? Um, in the past, we had this funnel. Um, I'd say currently we, a lot of schools still use that funnel concept, but they at least start talking more clearly about the stages of enrollment. Um, and I think that's a fair term, but we also have to start thinking it's more than just stages. Um, if you don't have, we've got to close the gap in really understanding what the true stages are, that it's not just inquiry, applicant, accepted student, enrolled student, that there are sub stages at minimum. And the, the sub-stages are really the crux of helping understand what the journey is. If you don't know the journey of your prospective students, and when I say journey, I'm not suggesting there's, there's a journey for your students. I'm suggesting each student has his or her own journey. And if you don't understand the journeys that they're going to take, you won't be able to understand the sub-stages of the enrollment process. And therefore, you won't be able to take your video or social or other content and apply it with the right context to each of those stages so that you're best connecting and engaging a student, giving her the information she needs at the moment. You know, for years we've said, you know, with communication, it's, you know, getting the right message to the right student at the right time. Well, th that's more complex because we are recognizing their multiple journeys, that everybody has their own journey. And it's not just you delivering it, it's having it available for the student to take it at the right time um, because they're going to go on their own path. The messages have to be there for them to take. And if it, it, that's a starting point, if you're really advanced, you might have a better understanding of when to deliver it so that you can disseminate the message. But yeah. very few people have that level of data and understanding. And therefore you've got to have the message available for the taking. And that's why you have to have video. That's why you have to have social. That's why you've got to be on those platforms posting natively there. Um, and then supplementing it with other posts that you might have on your own site. But that's that's why you have to have. And so if you don't start thinking of this as what are my sub stages in each of these and starting to define that, you won't know how to tailor the content for someone at that stage or that sub stage that needs that type of message. Because it's not just a message about scholarship. It's about scholarships for someone who's still looking at schools. They've narrowed their list of 10 down to five and they're thinking about to whom they're going to apply. You know, they're if they're right at that moment of starting to narrow it down and cost becomes a more critical factor, that's another level of information that they, need, that they needed before. It's not the same level of information that they're going to need three months from now when they're really starting to think about financial aid and scholarships. Yeah. And so you've got to tailor that content for that moment uh, and then find a way to allow that student to take it in when she's ready. And so that's... You know, we've got to start thinking of the journey that way so that then it helps inform and helps us assess, is this content right? 
is it written for her at this moment? Yeah. If we don't think of it that way, then we're not thinking of the content that way. And it's just blah content. And what you spend hours putting together provides seconds of value and nothing more and might create more questions, which if this is a really intrigued and engaged student, they might ask questions of you, which is good. But if they're not that engaged, they might just pass on you at that point. That might be their deciding factor. I can't get this answer here. I've got these answers to the other three. I don't have any enough of information to know what other value you're going to provide me other than confusion. So therefore, I'm going to hone in on these other three institutions. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is why we have to start thinking about the substages to tailor content to engage people the best way at that moment when they're there. What I, what I love about that is this is actually doable, right? Like this it is, is not... This, the data that you need, the data that you need to determine what are the substages that make sense for your context, like you have that data. Like I, yes. I think about a great place to start being, hey, take a bunch of people that are inquiries, right? Take a bunch of people that are, um, you know, that haven't started their application. Look at the, look at the communications that your admissions team has had with those people, right? Like it's 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 like lead scoring but it's it's even a little bit more specific like lead scoring provides a score of how likely is somebody to ultimately deposit and enroll but i think what you're getting at mickey which is which is so great is like okay but between inquiry and app start like there are lots of other things that happen like what are the three to five micro stages micro steps and how should we be communicating you know to those people when they're at micro stage A, micro stage B, micro stage C. And again, I think that the easiest way to get started in determining how many state, how many sub stages or micro stages you need and what makes the most sense in your institutional context is go look at emails, go look at text messages, go look at the different ways in which inquiries before they start an application interact with your team. And based off of those interactions, you're gonna have some people that are asking questions you know, every day, right? Then you're gonna have another person that doesn't ask any questions, right? Like, how do you treat those different populations uh, specifically and, and distinctly? And how might you take, you know, take those communications as as a reference point, right? As a as a as a foundation for how to break that the, break like the little steps between, you know, small step, which is fill out a form or meet somebody at a college fair, to big step, which is start an application. And I think that that would be, that's a very helpful uh, takeaway and, and something that, again, everyone listening in should, should be able to access that data uh, and should have, should, you know, should at least be able to take a stab at coming up with the, those micro steps. The, you're right, Zach. The, the data is there to, to start with version one of this. You will, you will evolve it in time, but the data is there. You can see what types of content people click on, what pages people are visiting based on a certain time of year. If you know... You know, we, we have a large uh, traditional undergraduate population that we're recruiting. You know, what are they looking at in in fall of their senior year or spring of their junior year? What where what pages? What are the strings of pages that they collect and visit together at that point in time? What are the emails or texts that they're clicking and getting? You have a lot of data to make some of those, so you know what the topics are, and then you can take it a step further and say, okay, is this type of content written for someone at this moment? What is this person thinking about in spring yeah. of their junior year? And is it written for that? Is it written for their parents for that? You know, how do we then, you know, break that apart and have that? And then, you know, then you can start, you know, really fine tuning it. But, but the, you're right. The data is there. This is an, I won't say an easy step. I don't want to minimize it. It's an incredibly important step, but it's not one that you have to start from scratch because a lot of it's already there for you to take and move yeah. forward.
it's it's simple, not easy, uh, as as we like to say. Well, this is great, Mickey. Uh, we have given folks a lot of homework. Uh, yes, and we have. Next week, we'll we'll do something a little bit uh, more fun and, and tactical. So next week, what 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 are we going to be talking about next week? I think we're going to look at uh, subject lines. Yes, email subject right. lines. Let's get tactical. And, uh, Writing more yeah, effective yeah. subject it's, lines. It, okay, it was in there fun. too. Yep. You your your the way you wrote it was how to write a kick-ass email subject line. I just wrote it writing a subject line. So yeah. I think right up front you've got some uh, more di- by dynamics to your way to label it, um, to add a little more uh, flair. <laughs> it's all about clicks. It's all it's all about the, the clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I love subject lines. I I've spent a lot of time on them. I harp on them a lot with our team, um, with our clients. So I'm excited to to dive into to a deep more tactical topic. Uh, as we think about subject lines. Wonderful. Well, it's good to be back, sir. Uh, Enjoy your time in Mississippi, um, and we'll chat soon. Yep, enjoy California. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey friends, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. If you have an idea for a topic you think we should cover on this show or riff on, please feel free to reach out directly to me at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org, and I will bring it up with Mickey, and we will chat about it on an upcoming episode. So again, that's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org, and reach out if you have questions, comments, thoughts, ideas for things that we should be talking about. All right, guys, take care, and we'll see you next week.